Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the John Rambo to my Rocky. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm hiding in the woods, waiting for you with a spear. All right, and our very own Tango. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you feeling? If you think that it's not believable that Sylvester Stallone would be some genius wearing a button-up shirt and little glasses looking like IRS from 80s WWE... You're right. Sylvester Stallone and Tango and Cash. Still a bad movie and a bad role. I'm doing great. Yeah. All right. So he Tango, was so much better in Over the Top. Tango. No, that oh, movie. Yeah. That, that movie is like a. What what's he I gonna do? do with that kid? Uh, that that. There's a reason the sequel wasn't filmed. You guys. You guys. This is a. It's a movie about a loving father and his son. Yeah. He's love. He's very loving, feminine. And turning your head around and or your hat and, around and, and he's showing a, all sorts of technique and arm wrestling. Letting, Don't forget letting incompetent twelve year olds drive uh, multi thousand pound. He's a vehicles. truck driver. What do you expect? Don't, Don't forget that he takes drivers. his he takes his kid to a bunch of bars in this movie. He takes yeah. him back behind the bar. We're gonna pick up a hooker. Okay. All <laughs> right. That was a okay. All right. I want to get to something first, which is that every time there is some there's some very uh, dissatisfied players in the NFL right now, and every time one of them comes up. Uh, it seems like the rumor mill starts because you know John Snyder, he's always in there competing. We're always in the mix to get these guys. We missed Hashtag on always compete. So let's start with Minka Fitzpatrick. We missed on Minka Fitzpatrick. He goes to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh gives up what will probably be like the fifteenth pick in the draft because they'll barely miss the playoffs to uh, to get the former safety. Um, Kevin, would you have given up a first round pick for Fitzpatrick? Um, obviously, we would probably give up first pick, first round plus because our pick's going to be thirty second and their pick's going to be like. 15th so i would have given up a first round pick but i probably would not have given up a first round plus he's a couple years into the deal i think minka Fitzpatrick is a good player but he's the kind of player that you could get with that you know 28 through 32nd pick all right eric uh were, were you disappointed when the minka minka news came through i mean a little bit i <clears throat> i think it's pretty obvious to see where the Dolphins went correct here, going with the earlier draft pick. The, uh, let's face it, the, the Dolphins are really bad. Their front office is kind of embarrassed by, you know, doing the Laramie Tunsil deal. They had to get something, and they had to show that, you know, they had to they could actually get value getting a mid-round pick as opposed to a late first, more or less early second pick. Um, if all things go according to plan here in Seattle, um, they made the right move for themselves. For us, I like what Kevin said. Uh, Mink Fitzpatrick Patrick is good, but I think you see where PCJS value cornerback talent and where to pick them up, and they don't do it in the first round, unfortunately. All right. I, I will tell you, though, I'll give a first-round pick for the next guy you're going to ask about. Okay, Jalen Ramsey? Oh, no, never mind. Uh, oh, yeah. Jalen Ramsey, I okay, here's the thing on Jalen Ramsey. Not is a good scheme not fit. Not a good head fit? Not a good scheme fit. Um, really seems like he's in a bad headspace. Why does he want to get traded from the Jags? Is it, can anyone answer this quickly? He, he said, "Yes, I hate losing." He said, Isn't it what, obvious? Else, "What else did he I say?" I want to win. He said, "I'm getting really fed up playing zone all the time. I want yep. to go somewhere where I can play man." So, Not uh, executive producer Brett Hancock, sorry. All right, and then um, the last one. There's buzz that Jamal Adams wants to uh, wants to leave the Jets. Now, this has been like disputed. Um, He's, a reporter asked him, did you ever follow the Jets? And he said, I've never followed the Jets since drafted. But you can confirm that he removed Jets from his Twitter bio, or from his Instagram bio. So it's... Well, that's practically a divorce. So it's it's not like he didn't do anything. Right? He's just trying to cut back on the razzing he's going to get um, on social media. I agree with Jalen Ramsey, by the way. Not a great fit. Um, he's actually Jeets. He's also going to need to get paid soon. This guy, Jamal Adams, does not need to be paid soon. 
think and he's, he's three, a better scheme fit. Three years less. And he's arguably a better overall player. He's all pro. He was ranked. Pro Football Focus rated him, I think, the fourth or fifth best safety last season. Um, and and he was the only he was the number one safety that got more than a thousand snaps. And that's on the Jets. So he's being he's being impacted by massively inferior cornerback talent. What can we realistically offer the Jets to get him though? I mean, if we off- I would first and a fourth, I would offer a first round plus other picks. That's how good Jamal Adams is. Um, the the thing that the problem with uh, Jamal- I'd say a first and Blair is probably the biggest thing I'd give up. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Blair is probably worth a little more than he was when he was drafted at this point because yep. he has kind of outplayed his rank during the preseason, but not a lot more. He's like a worth like a late second now or maybe an early third. Um, but the the thing for me is. Jamal Adams is so talented. He's really strong and he's a great leader. He had that reputation as a leader all the way through his time at LSU. He started and he played as a true freshman and we know LSU is like defensive back university. Mm -hmm. Starting as a true freshman at LSU is tough shakes, man. You got to be a good football player. And he and he did it. He started at 18 on LSU, which is an, an amazing, incredible thing. And uh, he totally deserved a super high draft position. He's played great his whole career. And I think, you know, playing for a bad defensive coordinator and a lame head coach probably really frustrates him because he's won at every level. And even last year, at least he was playing for a guy who doesn't suck. You know what I mean? Like we all think, I think everyone in this room thinks Todd Bowles is like a good person. And at the very least he knows what he's doing with the defense. He knows what he's doing. He's not an idiot. Now who's he stuck with Eric? Do you know your boy in Tampa Bay? You do know. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Do you know oh I'm the, sorry. I thought you were asking who Todd Bowles. Do you know with. who the jets, <laughs> do you know who the jets defensive coordinator is right now? Oh, is it, um, no, no, I'll give, I don't. I'll give you a hint. If he was a boat, there would be a mutiny on him. I'll give you a. I'll give you a hint. I'll oh, give you yeah, a it's hint. Greg Williams. That's I'll right. I'm sorry. Thank Aim you. Kevin, that was great. <laughs> Aim for the head. I've heard all these reports the all head. week. Odell Beckham Jr. I don't like Greg Williams. I I don't like Odell Beckham Jr. so much that I tuned it out and forgot Greg Williams is the defense. Greg uh, Williams. Odell Beckham sucks. Jr. That's because he found out when he got to Cleveland that the defensive players like, oh yeah, they was they were totally saying that we need to aim to take out your knees and yeah. like uh, he's like launch ourselves at your head. That 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 like recording that 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 you can find of Greg Williams where he's like, hey Crabtree, he's not going to be so good when we tear his ACL. Aim for the side of his leg. It's like, dude, this is horrible. What you are saying, yeah, no like kidding. you are a bad person. For doing this always compete still still working though still working still out there hustling you know good for good for him yeah, the nfl cares jobs. about its players yeah Play, all right hashtag player safety hashtag so okay so i think we all agree we would have taken minka fitzpatrick jamal adams is way better than minka fitzpatrick and jalen ramsey we would accept but is not a particularly great scheme fit yeah just uh, imagine it just uh, seems like he's lined up to become a malcontent i feel like just imagine having a wrong richard sherman like if richard sherman did not play well in our scheme how good would he be on this team or like an already discontent richard sherman that's exactly it richard sherman is not a uh because i feel like Ray, i feel like Ramsey really can play this player Ramsey, that's the thing i feel Ramsey like Ramsey's is, uh, physically incredibly talented he can play whatever scheme you want yeah, he's he's scheme proof they're the, the the physical tools the size the arm length like he doesn't there's not like a, but scheme, it's a scheme you he wants to play and that's where into, the headspace issue comes in and He's, I mean, he ran a four four one. There's nothing he can't do. One thing I think about when I think about, I thought this about Minka Fitzpatrick, and I think it about Jalen Ramsey too, is that they're really both good at running with the receiver, staying really close to them, and not uh, running into them and causing a foul, uh, which is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. And those, those, that's why Jalen Ramsey wants to play man to man. It's because it, it, he, he is otherworldly talented at like just staying in the receiver's hip pocket like that and running with a dude. 
the problem is, is that the Seahawks don't need a guy who can stay on a receiver's hip pocket and run with a dude. That's not, that's not how we play defense very much. So, it, yeah, it'd be awesome. He'd be good. I'm not saying he would be bad. Just, but we'd be underutilizing his talents, and we'd have to pay him for all of his talents is the yeah, thing. It, I mean, yeah. we could just bring him in as a rental for this year. Sure, I, and we get a third out of it, so I guess whatever. But... Yeah, I don't want to sell because he's probably get, as part of the trade. He's not gonna. He's gonna tell you not to pick up his fifth round option. See, the piece that's interesting with him is you're talking about a guy who, like, who's the leader of the Jaguars' defense? The leader, Clayce Campbell. Sure, Clayce Campbell. Every time, so they have a bunch of head cases on their team, and every time one of those guys, Miles Jack or whatever, is blowing up, the first guy in the pile to like tear him off and get him calm him down is Clayce Campbell. And you know why? Because he's an adult and he's really good at football, and he's huge. And so you aren't really going to push him back because he's roughly the size of the stadium. So if Calais Campbell, who's a really level-headed veteran, is the leader of that defense and this guy's still a problem, I don't know how showing up here, Bobby Wagner, who's a strong leader and a strong defensive player but not a big-time vocal guy, how you're going to expect much better results. Did you say that? Did you see the way Brad? Did you see the way Brad was dancing after the game? I did. I posted that gif in the group <laughs> chat, and I was like, "This, this is my, this is my defensive captain right here. This is my guy. I love him." I feel like uh, the style of defense we went from. I want to say it was Gus Bradley as D coordinator who said when asked to describe the personalities in the defensive locker room, it was. Alphas, alphas, alphas. And now we have a very much different flow. Like, if you listen to, like, the mic'd up stuff, before, like, people were going nuts in the huddle and the pregame speeches and everything. Like, they were super intense. It was crazy. And now it's it's a lot more understated. Um, the defense really has taken on much more of a Bobby Wagner personality, which is, you know, uh, like, going to work kind of thing. Truly competitive. Like, be the best you can be. Competitive, go to work, but not, like, crazy, amped up, high energy the same way. So, it's going to be interesting I mean, to see, did you you know, see the like way who can help bring some of that extra energy. Did you see energy. the way Pete punched Davian Clowney on the sidelines, dude? There's still a lot of energy over there. I mean, they're having fun, but it's it's just it It's is just different. a very different feel. Yeah, they, they, we don't feel like jerks anymore is the thing for me. Like, I think like our but team... I kind of want to be a jerk just our, a little. Our team before was kind of the jerks team, and I loved it. I loved it. We, everyone on our team our had a chip on their shoulder and was kind of a jerk. You know, Marshawn had all those doubters in Buffalo. Earl was, had Earl felt like he had a chip on his shoulder, and I don't really know why because he was high draft pick and was really good. Because he was a little short. But, uh, but you know... Uh, all these His guys. PSF numbers are always low. Richard Sherman, <laughs> I got picked in the fifth round. I got a chip on my shoulder. Bobby Cam. Wagner, I dropped in the draft. I have a chip. All these guys have chips, and and I Doug, think it didn't. It. it didn't uh, hurt that everyone kind of said this. These guys aren't anything, and that just fed into it all. Perfect, perfect storm. Okay, P, uh, Pete Carroll celebrated his 68th birthday. We haven't even mentioned it yet. He celebrated his 68th birthday. One away from the goal with a 28-26 victory at. Steelers. Uh, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that um, we have a thing here where we try to put the reverse whammy on it. We all pick the other team and then hope, in hopes that it will help them win. And it works a lot of the time. 99, 50% of the time, it works every time. That's right. We so, can't do this every week. chunks of real loss in it. So I, even, you know I even cheated and picked the Seahawks in the pick'em thing. And yes, it still worked. And it still worked. It was like the... Yeah, quick- we can't do this every every uh, week. We'll probably get into it just one more time this year. Um, At Eagles Week 12. Don't spoil it. <laughs> you can't forecast yeah. that. That's not it's, how it it's works. A, it's a At great Rams power, and we have to show responsibility. Um, uh, I will say, um, I was closest on the score. Nice, good job by you. At thirty-three twenty-seven, but Pittsburgh. 
Okay, so <laughs> so in this game, a couple things. Um, just a couple broad strokes notes, and then we'll get into the kind of the nitty gritty. But the broad strokes is Ben, ben Roethlisberger gets hurt, and before even before he gets hurt, he looks bad. The, a lot you. of short passes. Uh, he's he misses like his only two deep throws. Just not looking super super sharp. Um, they go into halftime. They decide we're not going to bring him back out. We're just going to go all Mason Rudolph from this point forward. Um, they, I mean, they subbed him in before that. But then, so this, a lot of people might think, oh, well, let's see. I think the game was very similar to how it would have played out, Ben or no Ben, um, because Mason Rudolph also didn't attempt any long passes except for the flea flicker. So, so. yeah. Shout out to my eighth grade coach, Mr. Wooten. Um, I didn't realize Teddy Bridgewater was running the offense in Pittsburgh. I don't understand. Like they, they, uh, the, 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 the guy from house, Omar Epps, he goes over there and just calls all these short passes and all it was, they ran such a, uh, short passing game and they were running good. They were running pretty decently. No, they weren't. And then they just like stopped and then they, then they tried to run in the second half again and it was horrible. There were, there were, there were outbursts of good runs. Snell had one good run and outside of that one run, they were like three yards per carry. You know what? I probably have just Schottenheimer brain and I'm confusing short passes for runs, which is... Uh, yeah, I so, love that West Coast run game. Yeah, I, I'm just uh, <laughs> just doing that. So then, the but in the in the early game, you know, they're they're trying to move the ball with all these short passes. They're they're attempting to... And I felt like at the beginning of the game, it, it felt tight. It felt like it was going to be a, a real close game for the entirety of the of the game, especially with the with the uh, the fumble, the fumble at the end of the first quarter, like. I was like, man, these are the kind of toxic differential plays you have to avoid on the road. Yeah, that was a that was a particularly bad fumble, especially after not having a great uh, first game either for Carson. Like uh, later on, after the uh, botched handoff in the early fourth quarter, he went to fumble jail for a while. Yeah, and well, I mean, in that, even that, though that one wasn't his fault, it's like the the second drive we had, we had the sacks to sack us back out of field goal range. Then we fumble, and it's just like it just kind of felt like. Okay, this is one of those things where we're playing really good, but then these stupid things are going to happen that keep killing us. Does that? Yeah, and it's a situation where, like you say, toxic differential. If we lose the ball via a turnover, that's one thing. But then we start getting sacked. There wasn't a moment where I was worried that oh we're going to lose this game, but it was it was very frustrating because at some point if they shut down the run, and we I'm sorry if they shut down the pass and we have to rely on some sort of running play. I'm not sure if I trust Carson to hold on to the ball. He's had three fumbles this year, two recovered. Uh, the last fumble wasn't his. Okay. Oh, because it was... They it gave, was on the handoff. Actually, that was yeah. racist. They credited the fumble to Russ. I think it was like everyone's fault. Yeah, they, I think it was yeah. like an... I think, honestly, if I was he crediting was credit ta- to the right side of the offensive line. He, Thanks. He's, <laughs> he was getting tackled while he that got the Fluker's ball. That was fumble. While, he was getting tackled while he got the ball. And they, yeah, they fell over into Russ, who's handing the hand of the ball too, a little too high, if we're being honest. And yeah, it was just like an all-around screw-up. I believe it was Bud Dupree... Who shouldn't have been in the game because he went helmet to helmet against okay. Russ? But that's another. I kind of want to yes. talk about specifically the, that series right there because you really feel like at that point we're going to salt the game away, right? It's, yep. There's not very much time left on the clock. Our offense has had a pretty easy time like moving the ball, and we're just going to like salt, be able to easily salt the game away. We we fumble in that play on that play. They instantly score and it's like my butthole got so tight. Like I was like I was like, why is this happening? Because before what happened was we went up when we go when they when they catch up 
they go for two to tie and they miss it i'm like we're gonna score a touchdown go up by nine and it's really hard for this team to come back from nine yep like they're not gonna come back then they go three and out and kick us the ball back and i'm like now we're really coming back and there's no way they're gonna be able to beat us like they needed a huge toxic differential play just to get back in the game and they got it yep yeah it was very frustrating and it felt like we were actually going to score i felt our offense was clicking at a level that we weren't Honestly, let's say we probably didn't think we'd see till maybe week seven. Speaking of, without uh, getting too uh, nitty gritty, real quick, oh. that's the second straight week that we've had uh, that situation where there's the, there's these big fluky plays that change the entire way the game looks. So we have the two fumbles on this one. There was the non-interception uh, John Ross touchdown to end the half against the Bengals, and like those plays completely change the perception of the Seahawks victory. Another another thing too is is um, I mean the pass run balance in this game much much better more tilted in the way I think a lot of us would prefer, and it kind of speaks to what we talked about last week, which is that this team does not build an in a game plan to they don't build a game plan that they're going to run every game on offense. On offense, they build a game plan to beat the specific team we are playing, and they treated the Bengals like the fifth preseason game. They treated the Bengals. I mean, we saw the way San Francisco whooped up on the Bengals in Cincinnati. There, there's the Bengals are not good, and so they Pete was Thanks, like, "Pete, I bought Cincy's fantasy defense, you jerk." <laughs> Pete, Pete's gonna be Pete's gonna Pete comes in and he's like, "Yeah, we're not gonna do anything in this game. We're gonna just squeak one out. I'm not worried about it. If we need to take the the dragon out of the cage, we'll do so." You know, when you said that last week. I was like, that's a possibility, Nathan, and I can't argue because none of us are in the coach's room. We can't say that, yes, that's what happened. But as soon as I saw that San Francisco score, I was like, yeah, this is what Pete Carroll definitely did. So, okay, let's talk about the overall offense. So we had 46 passes to 32 runs, so I think it makes sense. We should start with the passes. So Russell Wilson was excellent in this game, and I want to talk about the difference between no pressure Russ and pressure Russ. Well, no pressure Russ. 31 for 26, three touchdowns, the 134.9 NFL rating. Just such a performance from him. Under pressure, you know, he also threw well, three for four, but he got sacked four times. And really, I think, kind of got beat up by the ineptitude of some pieces of our offensive line. Eric, on a scale of one to ten, how mad are you at Jermaine Effetti right now? Please let me know. Oh, this is this is classic Eric anger towards classic Effetti. Get him off the team. Put him with literally anyone. We're not getting a third-round comp pick for him. We might be getting a fourth. Are there such things as six-round comp picks? Maybe that's a thing we're getting. Yes, that is I don't like him. Trade for Trent Green. Trent Williams, sorry. Trade for Trent Green. I don't even care. Trade for trade for Trent Williams, the running back. Trade for anything. Get him off the team. Um, Full Brett, sorry. So the Fetty thing. The, my favorite of Fetty play in this game was the one mm-hmm. in the first quarter where J.J. Watt comes in. T.J. Watt. T.J. Uh, Watt, sorry. Comes in. He's summoned a, the a Fetty, strength of J.J. Fetty uh, takes a step back. Oh, then, I know exactly then, what you're going to say. Then starts to run forward but kind of falls over and yes. J.J. Watt just runs right past he him. Hesi- he runs. hesitates, but it wasn't, you couldn't see this hesitation in It looked like motion. his ankles were breaking. Yeah, it was a hesitation in real time, which at the NFL level, no, you can't do that. So let me go through the other three sacks real quick so uh first sack i have fluker blocks the inside man Afedi neither takes over the inside man nor moves to take the outside guy and ends up blocking nobody and fluker tries to block two guys that yeah. was that was the first sack 
And the second sack was the one where the guy just kind of they they it was only, an overloaded right yeah, side blitz. They kept they we only kept five guys back and then six guys rushed. Well, and, the problem with that though was Britt comboed up with the left guard, and so we we would have had enough dudes to block if Britt would have slid to the right instead of the left. But I mean that's that's on Russ then because like you right, gotta, Russ you have needs to, to call that. You have to slide your protection. You can't you can't just like go out there and expect the guys to the linemen just figure it out. The it's other thing was that uh, Fluker got just straight up shed on that one. Uh, two had had Fluker's number the whole game. And then on the Give third me one, Okie doke on one play. Yup, that was yeah. the one. To it, just straight up beat Fluker. Um, Effetti was out of position to help out, but he was in position for Watt on a delayed pass rush. So there were all these things where it just showed there's a way to scheme against the right side of our line where if Effetti has to make any adjustment whatsoever, he just can't still. And then the here's the thing though, I, I think we're really bagging on the pass protection, but I thought the pass protection in this game overall. Not that bad because they blitzed us 26 times and we were able to go 17 for 22, 209 yards and three touchdowns on those plays while they blitzed. And I think that that is, that's one that's staggering. That's very, very good blitz pickup and play design to get the ball out quick. That's the thing. Getting the ball out in under two seconds, which is unheard of in a so, Russell Wilson so, offense. So right now, yeah. Russell Wilson is leading the league in average time to attempt. He has 2.14 seconds good job, to attempt. The second best is Cam Newton and Derek Carr tied with 2.26. So that's a pretty large gap, too, between first and second. Also, look at how much better our offense is doing than Cam Newton and yes. Derek Carr's offense. Another thing, too, is Russell Wilson used to be one of the worst in the league at this step. Uh-huh. He used to be one of the slowest to time to releases. So it's it's I think there's a definitely been a philosophy shift towards quick quick hitting plays, making decisions quickly, um, going through your progressions quickly. And Russell Wilson said it himself before the season started. The last area in which he could improve was his mental game, and he is he worked on that. He said I can improve my thinking now. I can improve my processing, and he's processing really quickly now. He is not taking the extra time. He's not relying on his legs to give him extra time. He's just making a decision and going with it. Yeah, he's not running back bunch and then running to the right or to the left. I'll say this. If you look at the defense of the Pittsburgh Steelers from a team you root for's perspective, so the Seahawks, you come in, imagine your team has four sacks in the first quarter, in the first part of the game, the uh, the important getting going part. And then you don't get much pressure after that. Uh, the offense is figuring you out and exploiting you. It's not so good. You'd rather kind of have four to five sacks, maybe even three sacks, over the course of a game in a sense where you did a lot of pressures. And that's what I think is really great what the Seahawks did is that they allowed themselves to regroup, not get Russ murdered, even though some of those hits were pretty hard, and we adapted to it, and we ran the offense we wanted to run, the offense that Schottenheimer says he can run. I'm so proud of Shotty for basically telling us, hey, quit asking for Daryl Bevel back. We can do this. Um, there was some really important um, coaching or, uh, you know, adjustment decisions that I think are no kind one, of overlooked. No one played a mistake-free game is another thing. It's like all five guys on the line had their moments where they made mistakes. They allowed 11 total pressures. No one had zero pressures. But there were just stretches where they just seemed like they were totally in sync. And I those stretches excite me because this is a good pass rush team. You know what I mean? They're not like a... They're not trash. So I don't know. That was that's cool. Even though there was stretches where it was really hard to watch. And Kevin's right, Fluker Fluker had his probably worst game in the uniform in the for this for this one. So um Kevin. Uh Justin Britt, Fluker, Effetti, Eopati, Brown. Is it time to give uh like Fant and Posa drill shots, or do you think that this is like the five we should stick with? 
Uh, I think Postich has earned his chance at some playtime. I understand the logic behind running the guys out there that they have, but I think I think Postage should be one of our starting guards at this point. He played 20 snaps at right guard and two snaps at left guard in this game, uh, subbing for both Eopati and Fluker. So they're obviously like trying to work him in on a pitch count or something. I don't really get what the point of that is. Like, don't Eric, you talked about this in the game thread. Don't you feel like guys need to get in the in the flow, right? These guys, yeah, absolutely. Um, look at my notes. There's uh, there was a time in the game where I'm sorry, a time in last week's game where. You weren't sure we were going to lose, but you were wondering where the rhythm was. Where was our passing rhythm? We need to pass more. We need to run more. In this game, you saw Rashad Penny uh, with maybe his best run in a Seahawks uniform. Not not a lot to pull from, but still uh, a really incredible play where he break loo- he broke loose. And he definitely had to uh, have a little go right for him as well as a really good outside move on a player. But the fact that Rashad Penny's been seeing the ball more. Uh, Chris Carson is still our bell cow, but I feel like Rashad Penny is a guy that if you give him more chances, more consistency, let him fail out there. Uh, I feel like this is a, you know, you don't have to give Carson 22 carries and Penny 12. You can kind of reverse that or use Carson on those goal line situations. Um, I want more consistency there. And I think the offensive line suffers from that too. Um, you have a Fetty, and I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on him some more, who cannot really remain consistent. Think about this. Throughout his whole career, he's had mental errors. He's had Tom Cable being his coach. Um, we had um, we had a new offensive line come, coach come in, supposedly work on Fetty's mental game. Now he's maybe going back, reverting to how he was. Um, I would like to see Posich in more. I think giving these guys an opportunity to fail because as of right now, it can get worse, but realistically, how much worse on the right side is it going to get? I think consistency is key because you've got to give these opportun- these guys an opportunity to gel with the players out there on the field and just get better. Kevin, Penny versus Carson. You're a big Penny fan. I know. What kind of usage rate are you looking for with these two guys? Like, Is this, is this game like a good example of what you want to see, or would you like to see it flip a little bit? What, what was your, what's your thinking there? I feel like the usage in the run game is about what I want to see. Carson, about 15 carries. Um, he was in when we were trying to kind of pound the rock. Uh, Penny got in there in some of our drives where we're mixing in a lot of that uh, kind of quicker game. The thing that I disagree with is I don't understand why Carson would have more catches than Penny. I feel like we <laughs> put a little more effort into getting Carson into the passing game. And Carson is a functional back in the passing game. He's fine. I feel like Penny offers more. He's a guy who can split out wide. He's a guy who can run more different kinds of routes. Okay. And he's a guy who makes a better play in space. You're right. There's like two times they, they had Penny run up to the top of the formation and play play like kind of X wide receiver on a play. Which well, is, and bubble screening to Penny? Yes. Yeah, Sign not, me up. That's not something you can do with Chris Carson, I don't think. I don't, or Teams wouldn't it's respect it. It's not something I would try and do with Chris Carson. Real quickly, uh, let's talk about our best offensive lineman in this game, uh, Will Disley. Did you see the block that he laid on Devin Bush in the first half where he just smashed him like straight through? It was so sad. It was, yeah, that was so satisfying. Former UW defensive end Will Disley. You see that sometimes. <laughs> he was nasty, dude, on that play. I was like, yeah, if Will Disley can avoid getting tendons ruptured, he will be a fantastic. That, that well, was you my know what second. our most effective run gap is this year is the gap between the tight end and the right tackle. Okay. Um, I call that the Disley gap. 
Yeah, they were <laughs> distly combo blocking with a Fetty to seal off the edge, helping yeah. him out. <laughs> that, that's beef right he must, there. He must speak Southern. Because that's the key to getting to a Fetty, right? Is well, to... he's from Idaho, which is the south of the Northwest. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Very true. Then, then, uh, then they, yeah, because Idaho has great fried chicken, I think. Okay. So, <laughs> so then um, the other thing, I think, um, about the, the the run game really quick, uh, Fant came in, 20 plays, 18 run blocks, one pass block, and one route run. My man, yes, getting Snuck out it there. In there. The best, it in the in best there. tight end in the NFL got out there on a route, and you know what? I'm just, I'm just waiting. It's gonna happen. It's funny though; they're kind of sneaking him out there. Uh, my coworker was like, "Hey, when are they gonna use Fan?" I was like, "Fan was out there this week. He just didn't, he just didn't hear about it." If we, if we didn't need him to play backup tackle, they should have changed his number. But we do need him to play backup tackle. We need we, him to play starting tackle. Yeah, That's the part that I didn't need get him to in the previous statement. Tackle. I feel like right now we're starting our third best right tackle at right tackle. I'm okay. gonna start this. Who's number two? Throw it to Marco Jones. Throw oh. it to a Fetty cowards. Did you did you hear who did you hear who was back in the practice squad, Kevin? Yeah. Uh Nikansa's back, baby. I'm, I'm aware. We got rid of a uh, twelve gauge. So <laughs> he couldn't wear twelve. It was a bad fit. Let's be honest. It was a bad fit. Yeah, because I'm not I, out there. He would have had to change his name to like ten gauge. Yeah, maybe, maybe five gauge. Nathan, how did Or uh, maybe he could have been Cardale fan. How did Ballore do this this week? <laughs> Then he could go out there in a how twelve did, fan jersey. It, how did Belor do? Is that yeah. a, is that a joke? <laughs> well, <laughs> Belor played four snaps. He that's, had the, that's the thing though. He hey, was in for pass protection. Blocking? Yes, uh, he ran block non uh, It was uh, it was like a three yard run. Yes, out the middle. Was, his his run blocking was blocked to the right of the hole. It was. Uh, I have no idea what's going he on. He got there. a special teams tackle, dude. So oh, great, take that. Well, that's all. Pro Bowl, here we go. It was the one where like I think it was Blair missed the tackle. And but like did most of the work and then Belor came in. Belor claimed to clean. Woo, chaos! All right, nice job, Belor. Uh, let's talk about one thing real quick. Uh, the we talked about passing direction, we passed about running, but we have not talked much about the receivers. Uh, individual receiver, who is your stud in this game, Kevin? Uh, I okay. So there's two studs, three if you actually there's three obvious studs in Lockett, Metcalf, and Disley. But before I do that. I need to I need to issue an apology on behalf of the Seahawks Nest podcast. Um, much as we did in the preseason for Austin Kletro, RIP. Uh Malik Turner, NFL wide receiver. Yeah, what so Malik Turner oh I mean <laughs> cool. obviously we needed a guy to play X wide receiver until David Moore's healthy, so that's why he's still on the roster. But But man, he actually did. He's and like, like kind of good yeah yeah three catches two first downs 54 yards just a, a nice little performance by malik turner in a limited snap action didn't get didn't get to play like the whole game or anything Dude, I don't, he look like a functional nfl wide receiver i don't really i don't i'm not trying to do hot takes here but Roll was he there. any worse than david moore uh he's what brett thinks amaro darbo should be okay <laughs> yeah and i mean i want i think that well, the, the thing is really is like JB played. Jaron Brown played fifty-seven snaps and like didn't get targeted. So he is a decoy. So like I don't know what they're doing with JB right now. Like they yeah, is he a decoy or are they just not looking his way? He got it was two a, it was a the, massive uh, misinformation campaign all will, off season. He got two, and the NFL bought it. He got two blocking in the back penalties though, so he did make Ooh. an impact. Ooh. This remember, is they were both soft though. Like one of them, he came in and he like he like like fell into the guy and they were like that's a, that's a penalty. And I was yeah. like that didn't affect the play at all. He just did an ineffective block. This is a reality that we kind of may need to think about. Jaron Brown may be just a bad scheme fit. 
I there's don't think something... he is, though. We saw in the preseason the way that he yes, works. But I think he's just a guy who will have a game the, every once in a in while. In the actual game, Colin, so he's Nate Burleson. Sure, but he's Nate Burleson that we didn't pay a bunch for, yes. which makes him directly better than Nate Burleson for us. Let's talk, let's talk a little DK Metcalf right here. One thing I think that impressed me about the DK Lynn Metcalf performance in this one, he goes three, three catches on seven targets. All three went for first downs, including the touchdown. The... The thing for DK is that that I thought was really cool was that Russ used him as like his safety net. They he would look his way when things started to go bad and just kind of chuck it in his general direction, which one shows a ton of confidence yep. in DK and his skills. Because here's the thing: if you're going to chuck it up to a guy like that, you need to know that he is going to ch- attempt to make a play on the ball. And two, everyone's like, "Oh, DK in the preseason, DK turns like a battleship." DK, man, he ran some curl routes in this game that just blew the. The and another guy just ran away, you know, like he just killed people with his. And turning. this is against Nelson, who is a solid number two corner. Yes. Now he's the number one on their defense because they have Artie Burns. But every but he's a solid number two corner. Every single not completed DK Metcalf pass was covered by Steven Nelson. When he was on the safeties, he killed them both. He got right. twenty eight yard reception and a seventeen yard reception on Edmonds and Davis, which I think just yeah it shows like Steven Nelson was is a functionally pretty decent corner and still. You know, Russ had the confidence to say, you know what, this is a good corner, but this is my guy, and I'm going to give it in the ball. His other guy, Tyler Lockett, 12, 12 targets, 10 receptions, all short stuff, only four only four first downs. But, uh, Eric, the volume is here now for, t- for Tyler Lockett. It's not like it was before where Tyler Lockett only gets three long targets yeah, yeah. a game. Or, or which was just... great, which, you know, it was good. It's, it's still accumulating the yards. I'll say this. The defenses are more than aware of Tyler Lockett. To the point where they are being more physical with him. Tyler Lockett, he's a he's a little guy, and he's an NFL player, which means he's very strong and stout. But still, defenses are being more physical with him, not getting away with it thanks to the red challenge flag. Uh, this is, I would say, expect a little more of this game from Tyler Lockett sprinkled more frequently throughout the season, because the days of throwing it up and Tyler Lockett being wide open, defenses are. Who else are you going to circle on the on the on the passing right now? DK You're going to you will you will, but it's going to take teams a little while. Like you know, body up on him, he'll be fine. They'll find out we'll burn him. But Tyler Lockett is drawing those double teams. He's drawing the safety over all the time. Yeah, Terrell Edmonds covered him on like five of his yeah. plays. Kevin, do you think that there should be a way for? Don't you think there should be a way that like you represent like the uh, the pass interference for like a gigantic first down somehow on the stat sheet? Yeah, that'd be nice. Because the because that play the ghost so yards. Terrell Edmonds, uh, it's Terrell Edmonds, right? They got the penalty on that play. He turns Tyler Lockett around like with his whole body, with his arms, and then and then they they didn't call it at first. Um, so let's talk about. There's two Pete Carroll challenges in this game. What did you think of the first the first one? Like what what, what was going what was that all about? So he actually explained it in the press conference that there was basically what he was trying to say was that. Um, the way that Kendricks kind of came into the chest of the receiver, it was like kind of going for the spot. He had a way of explaining his logic behind challenging it. And using that logic, I can understand why he challenged it, but it wasn't going to get overturned. There's no way you're looking in that. Kendricks just never got his head around. <laughs> there was a 0% chance it gets overturned. So I think that was just him playing with it to see how you can challenge those because knowing the way that we play defense, we're going to get those penalties like at least every other game. Um, And then that play too, I think the real reason they challenged it is because 
they that play basically if you don't get that challenge you just gave up a touchdown so he was like i'll trade a timeout for a 10 percent chance that they decide to not give a touchdown to the Steelers, you know, because if we don't give up that play, then it's fourth down, they kick the field goal. It's it's just a totally different uh, like game situation. The second challenge obviously went very well. Pete's been pretty liberal with these uh, pass interference challenges already, um, and I suspect we'll see uh, quite a few more this year. So that's that's my uh, my take there. Yeah, I think that when that was announced, it was like, oh, Pete Carroll's gonna have a field day, and so far, so good. Yeah, he's, he's at least he's trying it. He's, he's testing it out. He's dipping his toe in the water. There will be one time this year that we are pissed. The thing I really liked about the passing game in this one was the way that we attacked the seams. I feel like that was a notable thing, and that was part of the quick passing game, but it was why Russell Wilson was able to get 8.6 yards per attempt despite having that sub-two-second release time. And we attacked the like the touchdown uh, for Metcalf against Edmonds. That was on a seam route. Um, that was uh, Metcalf lining up inside, which is something that, again, people didn't think was going to happen. Uh, Disley, five catches on five targets for 50 yards, two touchdowns. That was working the seam. Vanette had a really nice catch on the seam on a quick first down. Um, what was it, like a 13-yard quick hitter? And those are the types of passes. Like, clearly, the it, while watching the tape, there was a clear view of a mismatch in the way that they covered people in the seam. So probably something in the way that the linebackers and safeties hand players off to each other that we felt we could exploit. And right around the first down marker, right around that 10-yard mark, it was like they came free in between windows in the zone. And so Russ just was hot reading that. And so you get some pre-stat motion. It would look like they were going to play something a certain way. And as soon as it came clear that that's what was happening, he would just fire it in right there. And they never adjusted because, like we said in our preview, what do the Steelers not like to do? Make any changes to their game plan whatsoever. Cover, cover slot receivers. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's Russ reading the zone blitzes. I mean, there's only so many zone well, blitzes you can do. do that for him. He studied it enough. He knows what he knows what they're gonna run after a while. And yeah, that good was quarterbacking. A, so that that was like literally like a da- a daily fantasy thing. I've been like kind of pumping up the first two weeks. Is like I know the Steelers can't cover slot receivers every week. I'm just gonna play whoever they. So this, this week I had Tyler Lockett. Last week I had whoever they put the Steelers play. Whoever plays slots for the oh Julian Edelman or whatever. So then I'm just like whoever plays slot against the Pittsburghs is gonna have a field day because they just can't cover slot receivers. They're incapable of doing it. But now Minka Fitzpatrick maybe gives them a. A small shot. You guys ready to talk to E? Well, yeah. I was just going to say real quick, Devin Bush got hit six times for 60 yards and two touchdowns. Terrell Edmonds five times for 70 yards and a touchdown. Their slot guys got burned hard. And Edmonds didn't even have like a horrible game. No, he just just got worked by the scheme. Just ups and downs and they they, they just don't have, they have a hard time with covering slot guys. All right, defense. Overall, I thought it was the bang average day from the defense. I don't really have anything overly positive or overly negative to say. Uh, so, so help me out, Kevin. What did you notice? Uh, I noticed we got 10 pressures against a really good offensive line. I think that's one thing to consider. Jefferson showed up again, three pressures. Kendrick's got a couple. Uh, Brandon Jackson got a sack and a pressure. Uh, Clowney played really well against the run. I feel like our ends crashed on the run really well. And that was what shut down a lot of it. I, they didn't really get anything to the outside against you us. You know who's really good against the run? Al Woods. That guy's that guy's just a stud. I feel like if we had Puna Ford 
in this game, they would have done even worse in the run game. They had three. Elwood's had three uh, three run stops, and I just think I'm I'm really pleased with that addition to the squad. Like once the defensive tackle rotation is fully healthy, Puna Ford, Jaron Reed back from uh, Goodell, then then they'll uh, they'll finally be able to. Alwood's just playing on rundowns or whatever. That's a luxury item. That's yep. just incredibly, incredibly good. Yeah, um, having three starting tackles, very nice. LJ Collier got out there for 16 snaps, and if I had to describe them in a word, it would be nondescript. Yeah. How about that? You, you like that, Eric? You know, it's it's certainly a word. Um, it was very Rasheen Green. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> from last year. LJ Collier, I, was, uh, I wasn't expecting a lot. I was hoping for the moon. Like, wow, let's see what this kid can do. Hey, he's out on the field. It's another body. Uh, in our Patreon chat, somebody said, "Like, do you think uh, we'll see anything from Collier?" And I was gonna, I was gonna respond, and then Kevin basically just said what I was thinking. Like, we have to play him because we're short on bodies, and we need to rotate bodies. Yeah. The defensive tackle rotation was thin in this game. Like Jadavian Clowney lined up at tackle some. Oh, well, he was standing up in the in the gap that a tackle <laughs> would occupy, which is a real odd thing to do. Yeah, but he played middle line three tech backer. Yeah, it was real weird. But I mean, he was disruptive. He collapsed pockets, and I thought played pretty good considering all of the restrictions we had in this game with the way we could use him. Yep. You know, it's it it was it's t- it's tough for him because well, he, and again, short passing game, it's hard to be disruptive as a lineman. He's he's kind of at his best when he's. Uh, able to freelance a little bit, move around the formation, kind of create matchup problems. And in today, we needed him to really just occupy space in the middle of the defensive line because we didn't have anyone else who could do that, especially on pass downs. So, it, you know, I'm not surprised he had a kind of mediocre, nondescript day, but it, that's just kind of what the game plan. Let's talk about slot cornerbacks, okay? But 20 snaps out of our slot cornerbacks, one from Ugo, 19 from Jamar Taylor. I thought Jamar looked fine, by the way. Targeted four times, only one reception. Uh, I felt like he was out of position on a few, though. He got lucky on one where um, like, uh, there were a couple just missed throws. Uh, I believe he was the one in trailing position on the missed throw to, um, is it Hilton? The one deep shot that Roethlisberger took to the wide receiver. Oh, to the left side? Yeah, where yeah. he came across the formation. I think that was him, and he was beat, and it just didn't matter because Roethlisberger threw a terrible pass. Here's the thing, though. They dropped back to pass 36 times, and, like, that's a lot of passing to only have 20 snaps of nickel. And I just don't think that it's sustainable for us to keep this So many much three linebacker? Three linebacker sets. Uh, it's painful. Uh, Michael Kendricks played 38 snaps, KJ played 53, and uh, Bobby played 56. So that means they were all on the field together probably for th- at least 38 snaps. And that's a lot of that's a lot of pass coverage that these guys got to do. KJ got hit uh, five receptions on seven pass attempts, including a touchdown. Kendricks had that Kendrick, big penalty. Kendricks four for four, but with a pretty much gave up a touchdown on the penalty. Bobby gave even gave up two receptions. I mean, it's just we're, we're kind of working those guys in a way that I don't feel like it, do- it doesn't use them to the best of their abilities. When you see the linebackers in short coverage, uh, running back coverage, it's where they excel, and you get to see some pass rushing. Whenever you see them anywhere past 10 yards uh, running around in the end zone, yeah. I feel like that's been going on for years. I can think of the 2016 season. Uh, was it last time? I think we played the Bengals in Cincinnati. Um, and uh, what Earl left uh, left a seam open and allowed for the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, there was a there was si- or Greg Olson just working yes. us in those Carolina. Yeah, games. and it was just like you'd see you'd see why is Bobby Wagner running down the field twenty yards behind the receiver? Like, why is Bruce Irvin covering anyone ever? Yeah, and it's just little things like that. It's a scheme issue, and 
honestly, I don't know how they're going to address it because getting Norton back, I think, didn't help with that I, too. Okay. Um, and the, yeah, I, I agree. I just think it's 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 tough. It's like weird scheming things. And uh, it's it's like it's not going to happen. And then when it happens, they just they break a certain way, and it just it works against us. Do you want to talk about the safeties real quick? Can I talk about Brandon Jackson? Okay. Brandon Jackson, I am very pleased that an opportunity was opened up when we traded Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo for Brandon Jackson. One, it would just be put him straight on the team. And two, it, it gave him an opportunity to get playtime as a like kind of a, a rush end. And actually, he's he played 10 run snaps in this game. All the ability and I to thought, play and get some consistency. I thought he looked Home pretty game. I thought he looked pretty decent, except for for some reason they dropped him into coverage that twice. That was so bad. And, oh, I, and I'm like, I'm like, this is Jacob Martin all over again. They're he dropping was huge though. Like, they're dropping this dude into coverage, and it's, it's like, like if Jacob Martin ran a four eight and we dropped him into coverage. Why? Why are you doing this? It's like so stupid. Just let him be a defensive end. I mean, it's oh my god, it's so frustrating. It's like maybe Pete doesn't believe in the edge position. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a ri- that's a joke, but it's also true. The thing is, if we were gonna drop a guy like that, wouldn't it be Clowney, who has actually played outside linebacker? Little, little smaller, little more athletic. Uh, okay, defensive backs. Uh, let's let's start with Leno because he got the surprise start. I think for some people, not I, we uh, we talked about how it was either gonna be Leno or Ugo that got the uh, start with Tedrick looking yep. like he was trending out, and um, Leno looked. He made one huge mistake. Two. Um, that I noticed. So you notice another one. The one I noticed is on the run, the run play. He just like got washed out in that play and should have been in position to make that play. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, oh the big run. Sorry, by... there's two other ones. Okay, give me those. Ones. All right. So the flea flicker, uh, he bit hard on the run fake and gave up the long pass to Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, he gave up Schuster's 45-yard pass. Okay, that was the reception. only Okay. And then the other passing the mistake was on the touchdown to Vance McDonald. He was supposed to be the short guy in the zone, and he was supposed to have the underneath with uh, Shaq Griffin playing the trailing on the outside hip, and he bit on the run fake, crashed in, and opened up the underneath. Huh. So Shaq Griffin looked really bad on McDonald's touchdown, um, but it was because he was supposed to have zone help underneath, and Hill bit on the run fake. Sad. Uh, but generally, but I see Hill biting hard on run fakes, and that's my big concern with yeah. him. Yeah, those yeah getting washed out in the run. He's, he, and, well, that one, that, just that one running play. I thought that otherwise, than though, he, he looked all right. Like He was not. He was functional. functional there was just a couple player. of... I worry about that hitting tape. Long Long term... I think that if he can he can keep playing and stay healthy, he could be a very useful NFL player. Like, you and know, improve his reads. Borderline, that's something that play will help with. Born at borderline starter level uh, safety play, probably as good or better than Tedrick just in the long term. I don't. I think that that's a real competition that should be kind of opened up. Is that you know the Tedrick Lano Hill should be a real question. Well, I think the big thing is. I think Brad is stronger as a free safety than a strong safety, despite his preference to play in the box. And so switching Brad to free, which he had, because the thing with Brad is Brad's a super heads up player. Mm-hmm. Like that, that interception he had, that was all just reading what was happening, being in the right position, being in every play. That's how you end up making his those body in bounds just yep. long enough. He's got he's got a little Doug Baldwin in him. He's, he's also just, uh, able to understand what he needs to be doing. Brad can do either safety role. He's not a huge guy. I would really like a bigger dude playing that strong safety spot. I'd be really interested to see what happened if we tried to get Blair in that strong safety position. So we're not relying on him to make the reads from the very top of the defense. I feel like that's a role he could slide into a little easier too. Okay. Um, yeah, and I thought for the other guys, Brad, you're like you say, Kevin, heads up, 
interception. Uh, I thought Shaq was pretty decent. Not nothing too crazy. Good. Uh, Flowers had a nice good game. Crazy bad. Flowers, same thing. Pretty good. Nothing, nothing crazy good, crazy bad, which is fine. That's against a team that the thing is, I think that they weren't able to take advantages of our weaknesses, which is there was a time, you know, there's a, that route, the crossing route that the guy ran away from Shaq and he was wide open and Ben just missed him by like four yards. Those kind of plays that might have that might have made this game totally different too if they could have taken the top off the defense, but they really just they just couldn't do it. So um, I'd be I'm a little scared heading into uh, heading into next week, but uh, but except a, it's Teddy a, Roosevelt who cannot take the top off the defense. There's either. a uh, there's one oh, really big thing we have going for us. You're 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 ready for that. You ready for the next game? All right. Uh, yeah. Are we ready to preview? Okay. Teddy Bridgewater had 34 pass attempts la- uh, last week. He completed 11 of 16 of 10 yards or less he completed five of four four of four from behind the line of scrimmage and he went two for seven over 10 yards and so he's thrown 34 total passes only attempted seven passes over 10 yards he's not playing very good and i don't know if it's if it's him or if it's the system if like i mean his leg fell off i have no idea the thing about teddy did you watch the game I did not. Uh, I was at the Mariners game. So my exact write-up is Teddy Sorry. Bridgewater looks like Peyton Manning in a dirty diaper. Uh, he just looks. He was throwing. Everything was a duck that was more than 15 yards yeah. downfield. I, he just couldn't get anything under the ball. He And there's a chance that he's just broken now. Like in college, my college scouting of him was that he's a very accurate passer. He's underrated as a deep ball thrower because everyone said he couldn't throw deep. But I thought he he's fine. He won't be great, but he'll be comp. Uh, He'll be competent in a deep ball throwing. I thought this guy has a chance to be a very solid NFL quarterback, like a like a much better version of Chad Pennington or something. As we talk and now, he seems like he seems broken. He's a broken person. Like all every ligament in his leg broke. You know, it's like that's brutal. <laughs> he broke his whole leg. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as we talk about in the off season, though, like you guys are so good at scouting, and I always like listen who you're into, and I remember all your Teddy Bridgewater talk, and you were very excited about him. You were excited that. Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, you you were very excited he was going to be a Viking because it was an excellent fit for him. I will say this. I remember you saying that he's an underrated deep ball thrower. However, the consensus, not always right, was that he could not throw the deep ball. And I think with the his leg fell off, RIP, old leg, uh, mixed with those old scouting reports, this is the player you have and probably Denny Greened who he thought we were so my comment on this is i feel like he's gotten alex smithed uh between offensive line scheme everything else what i see as a player who it's gotten in his head that he can't throw deep oh okay so he almost just doesn't and he doesn't seem confident when just, he does. He doesn't. Is, he doesn't flex when, when he throws. He, when he was in college, he would get in a rhythm where he would just nail like twenty passes in a row, just and laser beams. And he would be throwing them to the sideline, to the middle. Like it didn't matter. He would just be like, bam, 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 all these plays in a row. And it's just like, wow, that's that's really fantastic. You know, like that's good stuff. And especially being able to throw in a rhythm like that accurately over and over. That that's like something I look for is like quarterback accuracy. And he was the most accurate. And looking at his accuracy stats from last week, it's like, what happened to this guy? He's just not the same player that he was. 17 for 30. I don't think 17 for 30, if you ask me like, hey, what get he did 30 passes, guess how many he completed? I would have been 20, like 22. I would have been like 24. Because I think I think of him as a very accurate passer. And I maybe it's just not there anymore for him. You know, and it sucks because I root for the guy that broke his leg in a million places. And I want him to come back, but that's just not what it seems like in the cars. I would this be more. This is also in a good in a against a good defense 
and he was getting a lot of pressure up the middle from Aaron Donald. Uh, he was in a he was not in an easy situation. They never blitzed either. They only blitzed three times against Teddy Bridgewater. What which, are you talking about? They blitzed Aaron Donald's two people. They brought the house every single play. <laughs> the, the the whole like we only needed to, we only needed to blitz. We could play base the defense against you is a is a little bit. Those scary. are the good old days. Let me let me talk about the Wasn't Clay Matthews. Let me talk really quickly about the the New Orleans defense because New Orleans defense is getting after the passer this year. Yep. Uh, the Cameron Jordan has nine pressures. Trey Hendrickson and a has eight. Almost. Marcus, oh my gosh. Marcus Davenport has 10 pressures. These three guys are really, really getting after the passer this year. And whichever one gets the lineup against a Fetty on every play is going to be licking his chops. Those three guys all will destroy him. It does Can not matter who it is. Pick? Yeah. This is my favorite because this is a line that uh, Nathan would appreciate, especially. Yeah. Uh, they had him mic'd up on the sideline, and after that uh, run back, all you got was, man, I ran 80 yards, so I don't feel for nothing. That's trash. So, yeah. Perfect take. <laughs> Though, you are right, sir. That was trash. So the way to beat these this team is, is surprising. To wait for the refs. Oh. Is to att- is to attack the secondary. So a lot of people came into the season thinking Marshawn Latimer, Eli Apple. Eli Apple uh, did not look and, good and these, ever. These I guys was one are of these not people, off, by the way, Nathan. These guys are not off to a good start, Eli Apple and Marshawn Lattimore. And so the way to beat this team is to attack the cornerbacks. Well, last week, we saw the Seahawks come out with a game plan where they attacked cornerbacks, and it looked really, really good. So... If we're going to get after in this game, we got to get the ball out quick because their defensive ends are going to be coming and we need to attack their corners. And yeah, I think it's very possible that this is we see a similar game plan to last week, which is something that I think would one make me very excited and two shut up all the idiots on Seahawks Twitter. I <laughs> I think it'd be nice to see DK in this situation. I'm worried that we're not going to be able to attack the seams as much because of the uh the zone blitzing blitzing we won't see um from from the Saints. Uh, not that they don't do it, just looks different than what Pittsburgh does. I am curious as to when we're going to see other receivers in our system. Maybe a John Ursua, um, passive aggressively not mentioning. Only two, uh, only two snaps in the last game for yeah. For um, I, this is I realize that these guys take a while to come in. <laughs> but are we going to see Jaron Brown, like you know, sailing down the sideline? Uh, Tyler Lockett doing that jump balls. Uh, I expect a lot of DK. I am concerned about passes over the middle. Not that we won't get them, but we won't get them as frequently. Yeah, Marcus uh, Marcus Williams, their their best safety is is not a joke. He's no. ha- and he is off to a good start. And their pass rush is real, uh, and that's just on our offense side of the ball. Not not even planning for what they're going to do. Yeah, I'd say quick passes to the outside, especially targeting Eli Apple. I think Apple's by far the weakest link in that defense in the secondary. And then the other thing is, if you look at their numbers, they are weak against the run, especially. Uh, the inside run and running off the left side. So I could see a healthy dose of both Penny and Carson in the run game. They are able to generate pass rush, but basically if you're running at anyone except for Jordan, you're probably going to get some yeah. really good yards. I feel like if you can get to the second level against this team in the run game, that's you can destroy them because their first level, like their defensive line is good. Uh, Jordan and Henderson are good, really good edge defenders for three downs, and Davenport's a really good pass rusher. So you you gotta get you gotta get past that first level. Though. Or if you run right at Davenport, that's the other thing. I mean, because yeah. he's a little high and angular. If you got a a guy who can move a guy he's, like uh, Ayupati or uh, uh, Brown, you can move that guy off the spot. I think he's developing very well. I like watched their first game really yeah. closely, and I just think Davenport is. T- turning the corner and he's going to be my scouting report is out of date but but i mean here's the thing like i believe you, you that's interesting. his rookie tape is not great and his but he's just like 
he was a developmental project when he came in, right? Mm-hmm. We all knew it. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's starting to turn into what they thought he could be, which is, you know, good for him and good for the Saints. Like the, it's, Yeah, because they traded the farm for him. So. They, they really moved up and tried hard to get him. And if it doesn't work out and you're stuck with, you know, a guy who just doesn't end it's up doing I, anything. Yeah, it's, it, that, that's rough. So so, so I want to see a healthy also, dose of Carson, a healthy dose of Penny, and a healthy dose of the outside passing game to take deep shots. Attack, attack their linebackers. Their linebackers are nothing special. Like their linebackers, we can uh, like Disley on the linebackers. Uh, we can get any guy sold, any wide receiver sold up on a linebacker. Get like you said, Kenneman Penny on the outside on a linebacker. Those are all matchups I think are very exploitable. Procise. I was gonna say you will see CJ Procise if the offense so, is let's going. Let's talk away, about that. Will. You will. You say we will see CJ Procise. Last game, CJ Procise played only in the two minute drill. Perfect. Okay. That my question is: Is that like a you? You only bring out the Ferrari when you really need it. You only bring out the the you only bring out the bazooka when you. you I need think a it would big be explosion. really great to see him early when you know the blitz is coming because you could do little screens to him. He's a good blocker would, too. That would definitely slow things up. Hard disagree. This man Ooh. has sixty healthy minutes in him in the season. <laughs> I don't want to use them up in the first quarter, sir. Oh. If we use them in the two minute drill, that's four minutes per game times sixteen games, we can get an entire season of CJ Pro size productivity. <laughs> yeah, I really can't argue with this point. Yeah, that's, it's we all science, everyone in this Eric, room that's very that's it's very science. I, I don't know why I you know you can't argue with math. He's at 50, I, I forgot. He's at 52.3, 52 minutes and 32 seconds. We uh, he Actually, we only used two of the minutes because the last two-minute drill was a salt-the-clock-away drive. It wasn't a real two-minute drill. Because we were saving CJ Procise. Yeah, Don't we're saving, saving the time. Keeping those two minutes in the bank. We might need him for playoff minutes. And, playoff Procise. And I want to say this again. CJ Procise is a really good blocker in and the pass game. really fast. He, like, he like goes – when he goes up for those blocks, I'm like, oh, that guy's not very big, and he's just really going for him. No wonder he always gets hurt. Yeah, but it's all like the that quick pass to him in the two-minute drill where he jetted outside – and then oh, yeah. got the uh, got out of bounds. Like that dude goes from zero to sixty in a flash. You forget how fast he is after getting the Teddy Bridgewater treatment to his legs. All right, we did a. We've already almost at a full hour, so let's go ahead and hit them scores. Uh, I am at Seahawks thirty-one, uh, Saints seventeen. Eric. Yeah, we're gonna be similar on this. I think I have Seahawks thirty-five, Saints sixteen. Uh, I don't think the scoring will be quite that high, just because I think there'll be a little bit of foot off the gas. Though, man, we do like blowing out New Orleans at home. So, I'm going to say a lot of, a healthy dose of running once we're up, and we'll shut out all the underneath pass game. It's going to be 28-15 Seahawks. All right. Um so there it is. There's our picks. There's our uh, predictions. And uh, if you are a big fan of the Seahawks Nest podcast, you want to support the team, you could head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as $1.24 a month, get access to our picks pod, um, a bunch of other little things uh, we put on there, and also our group chat. The That, that stuff's all over on the Patreon. Um, just thanks. We got some new Patreons. We got, um, we got coming in hot. We got Mark. We got uh, Frank up in his Hi, thing. Mark. We got Lars, um, Mathan. That's a, that's an old one, but I'm going to say it again. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so thank you to all the new patrons, plus the people who I'm going to say their names right now. It's Forrest, Richard, James, Chuck Attila, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Bob, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Flocktimus, Michelle, Brian, Frank. Aunt Frank again? Frank. There's two Franks. Double Frank. 
We got two francs. That's pretty cool. And then and Nick. Okay. So uh, and thanks to everyone who's active with us on Twitter as well as on the uh, the Patreon chat. Almost everyone who's active on Twitter. There's like a there's like a few people on Twitter. I'm like I'm like done with. Um, you know who you are. Okay. So, so <laughs> you like that? If okay. you're curious who those people are, join our Patreon chat yeah. because you will every, hear you will it, hear uh, Nathan I, admonish me every time I interact with them. There's one person on Twitter. Anytime <laughs> I, uh, we get tweeted by them, I I always ignore it, and then because me and Kevin manage the Twitter together, and Kevin always talks to them and i'm like kevin why did you start talking to this person it's a trap they're just gonna suck you into like a four-hour argument and sometimes i, and I, I want hate, to walk into the trap and i hate the alerts i'm just like getting an alert every time it's like oh my gosh why is kevin doing I'm this i'm not gonna lie about 20 percent of it is just to bother nathan all right here we go we're gonna we're gonna talk um and we're all gonna decide what we're gonna decide the official what is the seahawks nest's favorite Rambo movie. Okay, that's our Ooh. that's our movie club today. What is this? We're gonna decide what is the Seahawks Nest fair Rambo movie. That I would it's argue Sniper with Tom Berenger. I would argue that there's only two possible choices to this. Uh, that Rambo three and Rambo two thousand eight are completely unacceptable choices. Do you guys agree with that right off the bat? Can we just eliminate those? Absolutely two? not. Whoa! <laughs> Absolutely Eric, not. What movie are Rambo you argue three for? fan. Do you want to know now? I'm ready. I'm ready. I need to hear it. Rambo 2008. Rambo 2008. What do you love about Rambo 2008, which I would say is one of the cheesiest action films I have ever seen? Cheesiest. I don't understand that. I believe that you just uh, there's exactly no there's no lines why he likes it. That there's way. no because there's no lines of like you know he's he's hanging out back there. There's nothing cheesy about that movie. It is about a man who has decided to disappear. Into, he's wandering the world, yes, man. He's not even wandering. He's settled down into his lot in life, which is to just basically be a guide in the middle of nowhere because... He's in like Myanmar or something. Yeah, right? because he has no life and it's just he wants to be alone. He can do this and hide and he runs into some no, Christian... Wait, wait, wait. I have Hold a question on. though. Isn't he a snake catcher in this movie? Like, doesn't he like catch snakes for people? Uh, he's a guide. I don't think. Yeah, like, he yes. He may he may catch snakes. I mean, he actually guides the snakes. I'm really good at washing my car's windows, but I wouldn't say I do it professionally. Anyway, anyway, humanitarian mission. So he 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 runs. Thank you, Kevin. Loves that joke. So uh, he, there's some uh, Love Christian the missionaries movie. that want to go up the river to you know kind of uh, you know spread the word to these uh, to this village and Rambo. They're like you know they they hire this this guy to lead them up the river and Rambo's like don't do that you don't want to go up there anything happens you no one will ever hear from you again and they're like this is very important this doesn't anything mean anything to you and he's like no and so he goes up there uh all hell breaks loose the village is bombed it is the goriest uncheesy thing you will ever see no that's like the, dead the, bodies the, everywhere the violence is like crazy yes over the and top, it's like dude. little kids are just getting blown apart it's dark it's literally awful. the only goal was to be more violent than first blood part yes two. and rambo just decides i can't leave these people up there he mm. almost finds meaning in his life he goes up there destroys the enemy in gratuitous fashion not in a cheesy way nathan and we're talking uh. about just taking a gun turret point blake to a guy's face i thought that was pretty dark yet rad because i'm a dude um See, and then at the end he finds meaning with this and decides to return home that is why i love that right. it is the best rambo movie outside of first blood only because it is a redemption story that if you'd have told me early made no sense 
that seemed to make perfect sense. I love that movie. So, quick commentary version of what Eric just said. Uh, Rambo 2008, way better than Rambo 3. Uh, congratulations, you're in third place. I Okay, nah. here's the thing about Rambo 2008 for me is that the Stallone himself said it's like, I made this movie and I wanted to make it seem like Rambo directed the movie. And it's like, yeah, it is like Rambo directed the movie. It's, it's over the top and just like... I think it's corny. Like I think over the top violence like All that. All I said was it was better than three. But I'm talking about to three Eric's is really point. bad. Three is the worst, dude. It's not good. If you want, if I just you want feel like it's insulting thing. to put it in the same category as three. Rambo two because friggin' atrocious. Three is awful, but two <laughs> two takes the character and makes it an action movie as opposed to a cerebral movie about a guy trying to find his way, which is exactly what Rambo 4 was. And That's why I like it. I guess what I would say to that is that Rambo 2008 is what you said with this really cheesy, over-the-top violence. It'd be like if I was like... I, I think I mean, the, the Eric, issue I have see, with here's it the is Tarantino's, it's Froyo with too many toppings. No, Tarantino's violence is over-the-top. This was just dark and gritty. I think there's a total difference there. I just think it was gratuitous. Like It was just too much. It's like... Oh, see, I had a very similar experience to Nathan where the level that it went to um, pulled me out of the grit mm. to the point where it yeah. stopped feeling gritty and it started feeling like, a, like, at the like beginning, they had a body the quota they had to hit. In the order. that movie where he kills all those guys and that guy's like, whoa, and he's like, this, this is not... A, and it's like, dude, it's just... Dude, that was... It was stupid. That didn't really happen. Like, I don't know. I okay. I, that didn't really happen. The Rambo documentary coming. Okay, I want to talk about coming to HBO. I want to talk about my favorite Rambo movie now. Okay, which is First Blood Part Two. Ugh. Okay, directed by. Did you just yuck because First of, Blood oh, Part you're Two? Damn right, I did. Okay, I, I'm yucking. Who wrote, your who wrote the screenplay for First Blood Part Two, Eric? Uh, uh, Ivan Reitman. James Cameron, dude. Okay, Ooh. so 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 like, it is overrated. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So James, wait, was that a shot at aliens? Because if so, I hate you. Maybe, maybe. So not allowed. I think like you're off the, the podcast. So what? You know the, I love that. Movie. The thing, the thing is, James Cameron's original script was just like kind of more of a straight action film, and and Sloan was like, I need more of a political tilt on this. Like I need Murdoch to be like a right wing a hole. <laughs> so 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 like <laughs> an old man he is. An old man. That's that's like that's the only change Stallone like script doctored the script. But that's the main thing he changed was like. But it was a really good change. Rambo, it's what made the movie better. Rambo had a sidekick, and then. And then Rambo had, and then he, he kind of made Murdoch more of like a like a. The best part of that movie is that in, Rambo's captured, right? And he's sitting there in the microphone, and then Murdoch's talking to him. And he's like, "Hey, John, are you okay? Hey, John, are you okay?" And Murdoch, and he's got the microphone. He's just squeezing it, and you can hear it start to crack. And he's just like, "Murdoch, I'm coming to get you." And then he just like kills like five guys that are, that have him captured. And then yeah, he doesn't. He goes and he gets Murdoch. Like that's. It's it's sweet. Now I will say I find it humorous. You talk about the gratuitous violence being problematic in Rambo two thousand eight, but not problematic in yeah, First and Blood you, Part Two. You have no this problem movie, with him, which, just which literally hiding is in the one mud, of the body count movies, hiding in the mud and opening <laughs> his eyes. Maybe line. it's the maybe it's like the the like it the steers tone. into its own cheesiness. Like this one is like tr- doing a thing, and I felt like two thousand eight was like way too serious. Like this movie's not trying to be overly serious. I feel like 2008 was trying to hit two tones at the same time. The tone you critiqued is the one that this one just steered completely into, which is over-the-top yeah, violent this action. This movie's just, like, kind of fun and, like... Firing, like, for a, a 50 caliber machine gun though, standing like, up with no support. Blowing up blowing up your, your wound with a <laughs> shotgun shell. Like, that's just, like... That stuff that is sweet. Like, it's just a sweet thing to do. Like, who thought to do that? Oh, James Cameron did. I love fun movies, but not every movie has to be fun. And I liked how dark Rambo was. Because First Blood, it's entertaining. 
and it's it's great in that way. But as far as like the tone of the movies, Rambo, the fourth movie, is way closer to the original than so the others. So now we are getting to my favorite Rambo movie. Which I, I think that, honestly, if I had to pick the best Rambo movie, I would pick this one. It's like the Aliens, Alien thing. Like, I think Alien is better than Aliens. But, but if I like, which one do I like better? <laughs> I think I'd rather watch Aliens than Alien. Yes. I disagree for this reason, and that is because I feel like Aliens is an extremely good representation of the sci-fi action genre. Like, it is a top-tier representation and, of and that. First Blood Part 2 is, like, a really good representation of, like, 80s cornball action movies. But yes. that's not <laughs> as good of a genre, I guess, is my I mean, argument. I just like that genre. I mean, I the mean, floor but yeah, is high, like but the Bangor ceiling is low. So, but First Blood's legitimately probably a, Stone Cold. legitimately a good movie. Stone Cold, baby. All right, Kevin, what do you love about First Blood? Uh, when the motorcycle gets thrown into the hell. No, that, that was, was Stone, Cold. Stone Cold. Um, Next week. You know what I didn't love about Stone Cold? Awful titties. <laughs> Lots of buttholes. <laughs> um, all right, anyway. Uh, First Blood, uh, 1982's Rambo First Blood, based on a book that I have not read. Uh, thank you. I believe it was Augustine. For the recommendation that the book was excellent, I'd be very curious to read that. That is on my potential summer reading list. I know. I think he just said the cover was excellent. I don't know if he said the book was I believe he said excellent. that he loved the book, too. Oh, well, like, I mean... But it's his favorite would, cover of all time. I would love the book. No, I mean, obviously. I mean, I think so it's sweet. pretty high odds that the book would be amazing. Sense of so, Sensibility, which is it? This movie's set in Washington, too. This movie is set in Washington. Uh, Brian Dennehy plays a total dick and does a great job of it. Um, it is is in the heat of the Pacific Northwest night. Washing people with fire hoses in prison. How rude. Yeah. Not prison, just jail. The uh, the powdered sugar is delicious. Brian, Brian Dennehy he's still out, still out here doing movies, man. He's, he is. He's still making it happen. I like it. Uh, so I appreciated the uh, PTSD justification for the following events in the movie and the way that they utilize that. Um, I appreciate the social commentary in the movie about training killers and then bringing them back in order to, uh, then tell them to stop being killers. And I appreciate the action, which was dark and over the top, but very personal. It was a, it was basically like a camp slasher movie film from the perspective of the killer. I just where like... he goes out into the forest and he's like setting up the booby traps and he's tracking the people that are tracking him. It's it's a very interesting take on an action movie that's unique. There's not another First Blood Part One out there. I like that the, the my favorite thing is the the part where like he the colonel comes and the colonel's like this guy is the best and you are going to people are going to get killed if he's you like keep congratulations going. how just, many body bags should i bring because you're just, screwing this yeah up. he's like just <laughs> let him get to the next town let him chill out we'll get him to surrender peacefully it'll it'll all be okay and the guy's like and then denny he's like uh-uh he's outnumbered we got it he's, he's like town. and he's like let me call him on the phone and then he talks to rambo he's like rambo just give up and he's like they drew first blood it's like the that part's so cool and then yeah. Yeah, that's like it's just a really good, and he he knows who he's talking to. You know, he knows he's talking to the colonel, and he's like, "That's my guy." But you, I'm sorry, man, I can't do it. They 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 came after me first. It's a very personal moment and a very personal fe- feeling film. They they even tried to blow up a, like a mine entrance to trap Rambo. Like the bad guys are jerks in this movie. This yep. is this is before Sylvester Stallone became like that big star. He was making films back then, like Rocky One. He wrote that movie. That was a film. This movie is a film. Uh, then he did Tango and Cash later on. 
and Cobra. <laughs> Cobra. People love Cobra. I'd kind of love to touch like on Cobra. But, and I love the first five minutes of Cobra. I mean, First Blood. Did, first Blood did come out after Rocky Three, so I mean, let's let's uh. Let's yeah, not give him too much credit. He would have started production, and he would have taken the project. I believe at, just after yeah, Rocky, Rocky, II. Rocky. I want to say First Blood was kind of a a labor of love for him. Also, Rocky Two is basically Rocky One. They just changed the ending. Rocky Rocky Three is a good movie, but not also not. <laughs> but then once he gets to yes. Rocky Four slash First Blood Part Two, like he's totally off the rails. Yeah, then, then he is officially made. Hey. What about Rhinestone? <laughs> with isn't that the one with uh with uh, a Dolly, Dolly Parton? Parton? Yeah, what about Copland. No, let's not ever talk. I, I would rather watch Rhinestone than Copland. Copland was would have been better if Michael Rappaport wasn't in it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Every movie. I, I hate favorite, Michael Rappaport. My favorite is the story behind "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot," which is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, he was low on a rent. Out, no, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> put out a press release that he was going to take the part, and so Sly Stallone took the part to scoop it from Arnold. Oh my god! And right. Arnold never had any intention of taking the part. Okay, you guys want to know my favorite Rambo fact? There is a 65-episode Rambo animated series called Rambo, The Force of Freedom. Okay, so I know this. I had no idea it was 64 episodes. Holy crap. You can find like three episodes on YouTube. It's uh, a thing. Yeah, it's not like... Do you like G.I. Joe? Do you wish it was weird? Honestly, Er no, no, no. It's like G.I. Joe minus the weirdness. So instead of a terrorist organization, uh, organization trying to build giant plants that will rule the world... It's just basically a bunch of jerks that are harassing a small town, and Rambo comes in and blows everything up. Yeah, but, but like, it's really weird in. that they have like a child-friendly character with PTSD. That's like a weird thing to make a cartoon <laughs> it was about. The eighties, man, cartoons were crazy. We also, could, it was after we First Blood Part this. Two where uh, they stopped paying attention to the mental health angle and start just it's, making it about. It's when we're done. Show though, it's in the TV show. If anyone who's still listening, oh, no. go back and watch the YouTube on. You can find this on YouTube. The intro for the Rambo animated. And you'll be like, what the fuck? Ooh, hey, what's the name of the bad guys in Rambo, in the Rambo cartoon? Do you know? I don't know. It's savage. Like Scuzz- oh, savage, yeah. It stands right. for Special Administ- Specialist Administrators of Vengeance, Anarchy, and Global Extortion. That is a jumping through a lot of hoops right there. That's all they I had, say. They had some college kid write that for him. Uh, that's my favorite thing is it's like the uh, arcade shooters where they would have it. And they're like, what's the evil organization? Chaos. Killers, housing, animals on space. You're like, all right. Whereas uh, Cobra, there. Cobra was just a cool word. They uh, another thing is the the toy series for the cartoon lasted longer than the cartoon. All right, Eric loves that for Eric Ronnebeck, for Kevin Garber. We will see you next week. Go Hawks.